You are listening to the Catholic Recon Podcast, testimonies from Catholic reverts and converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Don't forget to leave a review and enjoy this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of Catholic Recon Testimonies from Reverts and Converts. I'm your host, Eddie Trask. Before we get into this week's video, please, please remember to subscribe and share these videos uh, with cradle Catholics, with potential converts, with people that you know that would care. Uh, I would greatly appreciate it and make sure you comment and like as well. This week's guest is Adam Jackson. Adam, welcome Swain. to the program. Yeah, sorry. Uh, what was that? Thank you. Swain, Swain. It's Jackson Swain. Sorry. Jackson about that. Swain. Okay. Okay. I appreciate the yeah. correction there. Yeah. Well, welcome. Welcome, my brother. Thanks for, for agreeing to be uh, on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. I was looking forward to it. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, Adam, I think my, yeah, it was my wife. She was online and I don't even know where this was on Facebook or somewhere. And she saw a portion right. of Adam's story and she said, you need to talk to this gentleman. So, uh, here we are. So Adam, I know it's adventure filled and there's a lot of twists and turns. Um, why don't yeah. you start Why don't you start us where, where you think it, it all began? So I would have to go all the way to the beginning um, because that's where it kind of all ties in. So um, I was born, <laughs> this is like a life story thing. I was born in Mississippi and uh, very shortly after I was born, uh, my mom left my biological father and moved us to New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, where she met my brother's father, who I was under the impression for a very long time was my dad. Um, and he was a Muslim. He was not, he was not a Christian man. And he was raising us to be Muslim. He was Persian. And um, when I was around eight, um, maybe a little sooner, I discovered that this man actually wasn't my dad. Um, the, the appearance kind of told on us. So, I mean, here I am. And then here's my brother and my dad. And we look nothing alike. There's sure. not even the same race. Something's wrong. And um, so my parents eventually split. And the only thing I had ever heard about Jesus was that he's not God's son and God doesn't have a son. You know, that's not an Islamic belief. And so when they split because of how New Orleans was, my mom enrolled us into a private school. This was the early nineties at the time New Orleans was murder capital. And so she didn't want us anywhere near public schools and uh, very, Thankfully, she enrolled us in Shiloh Christian Academy, and um, that was when I heard the gospel. And um, immediately, um, immediately, I believed everything that that, that principal said, because also on Tuesdays and Thursdays, they had chapel for the students. So it was like a church service during the week. And um, like immediately, I was like, oh, man, I, I like what this guy's saying. And so, like, Muhammad after that was just, okay, I don't know who this Muhammad guy is, but I want this Jesus he's talking about. And so, fast forward, we ended up leaving um, Virginia, or leaving New Orleans, ended up in Virginia because my mom met someone else, uh, remarried, he adopted me, and he moved us to Virginia, and then we moved to Florida, and uh, when I was around 16, um, their marriage started kind of falling apart, and they met a um, they met a man that was a part of a holiness organization. And I don't know how familiar you are with that, but it's like if you walked into a Pentecostal church in the 50s, 
this is what I ended up becoming a part of from the time I was 16 till about 28. Um, in fact, I was actually three years, almost four years in the seminary there. No kidding. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, because I was, I was, I was, I had a great desire to be a pastor. Um, but in my third year, I had convinced myself that um, God wasn't um, calling me to be in the ministry. And then, in fact, you know, looking at the Bible, I could, I could no longer, with a clear conscience, believe the outward form of holiness, the standard that we were being taught. Because, um, I mean, on the surface, I could see it. But once you understand the context and everything else, it's kind of like, no, it's not, I can't condemn someone to hell for these things. That's not what we're supposed to be doing anyway. And so I ended up leaving and um, like when I left, I'm not going to say this group was a cult, but the, the leadership was very cult-like. And so when someone leaves, uh, they're treated like an outcast a lot of times. Mm -hmm. And um, basically they, they make you like, I was terrified of God for a while because I thought that in leaving them, I had left God. And so for a while, I was absolutely terrified of God. And eventually I got over that. And so like maybe seven, eight years had passed. And I ended up meeting my wife in Savannah. You can see I jump around a lot, Savannah, Georgia. And um, she's in the army. Um, I was a construction worker. And so we got married and then immediately tried to start having kids. And this is kind of where it comes in. We could not, but there was an issue, like we weren't conceiving. Um, and so she went to go see a doctor. And as far as not with too much detail, but there was something going on with her that was preventing conception, but it was a simple fix. Sure. And so we waited about a year because we were going to get ready to PCS to Pennsylvania, which is where I'm at now. And we went back to the doctor once we got here and that issue wasn't an issue. They couldn't find it at all. So we were like, oh, well, that's great. But then the attention got put on me. And some tests were done and turns out it was me. And the doctor was like, it's not impossible, but it's highly unlikely that it's going to happen naturally. And it was devastating. I felt like I had robbed my wife of motherhood. Um, I felt like my dream of being a father is not going to be fulfilled. And it was, it was horrible. And so I'd come down here in this very room that I am now. And I would literally pray, you know, God, you know, I want a kid and, you know, please, please, please. And, you know, and then one day I kind of just got fed up and I thought about Hannah, how she prayed for um, Samuel, I think it was. And I dropped my hands and, and it's, it's not uncommon for me to talk to God like this. And I'm like, man, come on, God, you've got all these people out here that are having kids that don't want them, that can't take care of them and don't deserve them. I just want one. And if you give me one, I'll give it back. Not even really knowing what that meant. Like a day or two later, she took six pregnancy tests and they were all positive. I was blown away. And so obviously my mind goes back to that prayer, but you know, eventually with, you get wrapped up in the excitement and you kind of forget about that. Four months after my son was born, who was also born on my birthday, she was pregnant with my daughter. Wow. And so at this point, it's like, I feel like God's kind of like, hey, you promised, now you got two. And so 
I was like, yeah, I gotta get, I gotta, I gotta hold my word up. Like God's given me two kids. It happened naturally. Like this is unbelievable. I'm like finally living the life that I've always wanted to live. And so as I started to uh, kind of think, okay, I need to do something. Let me find a church. And I'm looking at the church at large and I'm just, you know, man, this thing is a disaster. I don't believe what I used to believe. So I can't go back to that because for one, my wife's not going to go back to that with me. Um, there's no way. Um, two, also because of what they believe, I couldn't really even be in good standing with them because I'm a stay at home dad. So they believe that it's the woman that stays home and the men go to work. And, and that's a, it's a, it's a fair belief, but my wife's in the army. So sure. Um, so I'm just like looking at all this and just like, you know, there's, there's so many, just hundreds of denominations and they're all convinced and they're all just emphatically, this is right. This is right. And they're very sincere, but you're, there's, there's only one truth. So something's wrong here. And uh, believe it or not, I actually started looking into Islam again, you know, kind of thinking back to my, my brother's dad and everything sure. else. I ended up reading the Quran from cover to cover twice. Wow. Looking at, um, reading, even, even went to a mosque and talked to a, uh, I, they call him like a sheik or something like that, a sheik. And very, very sweet guy, um, you know, talked to me a lot. And uh, I came really, really, really close to converting but in this whole process, you know, there's a lot of claims they make where they speak about Jesus or Muhammad being in the Bible. And they'll use like uh, verses of scripture where Jesus is talking about, you know, when he, the spirit of truth comes, mm -hmm. like the spirit of truth is Muhammad. I'm like, no, that's, that's not the case that he's not talking about Muhammad. I'm, I'm sorry. You can't twist it as much. You can twist it all you want. Muhammad is not in the Bible except for maybe a false prophet, but that's about as close as you're going to get. And, um, but I was still like, cause it, you know, Islam is on the surface. It's very appealing. It's, it seems like it's a wonderful way to live. I'm not talking about middle Eastern Islam, but like how they live here in America and, uh, very honest people, very upright. It's like, man, I, I like what, it does, and the Quran, it's got like a certain flow to it that I like, and, but I couldn't, I couldn't really embrace what they believed about Jesus, and uh, one of the things I was praying about all this, you know, trying to find the truth, I prayed two things, God, I don't care what the truth is, whatever it is, if it's true, I'm, I'm willing to accept it but please do not let me be deceived. Like that was like the top of everything. Cause like, you know, we're thinking about eternity and I'm going to be leading my family into this. Like I can't afford for them to follow me blindly into hell, you know? And so that was like my prayer. And one of the things that a lot of Muslim scholars, Islamic scholars claim is that the Bible was corrupted. And I didn't think there was much truth to that. But I wanted to check it out. And so as I'm searching out to find out if, the, if there's any merit to their claim, 
uh, I went deeper in history than I had ever been as far as church history. And I ran into uh, people like Scott Hahn, um, Tim Staples, um, just to name a couple, and uh, Mike Schmitz. And uh, they made a lot of sense about some of the things that I used to grapple with as far as Catholicism. And um, anyway, um, one of the things that are, we are taught in, in my group, we were taught that almost immediately after the apostles, the, the church just went corrupt and, and it was just a mess for 1500 years until Luther and those guys came around. And so God used those guys to you know restore the truth and all this other stuff. And um, I just took it at face value. But the further back I went into history, reading about some of the things, um, and I'm looking for proof that the Bible was corrupted, and I'm not finding any. Um, I'm finding, you know, that first of all, the Catholic Church canonized the scriptures, which I knew that, and I actually always had a problem with that as a Protestant, because I was like, so we'll believe that they got the Bible right, but we're not going to believe that they're even Christian. Like, that's not fair. And so... <laughs> And that's so, not fair exactly yeah that's a yeah, good way to put it. Yeah. yeah and then um and then i ran into like some issues with the the uh, deuterocanonical books um i hope i said that right you did and i yeah. read i read a i read a couple for myself and i was like i don't see why these would have been removed but then i saw things that sounded quite catholic in those books and i was like okay now i know why they were removed they sounded too catholic so, and this is all like happening real fast. And so then I'm looking at, well, what kind of guy was Martin Luther anyway? And so I'm starting to like go off of my whole idea of maybe converting to Islam and I'm searching out Catholicism and all this other stuff. When and, was um, this, by the way, just to, so the listeners know? This was like seven months ago. <laughs> oh, shoot. Yeah, yeah, this was, oh, this was. Uh, that's incredible. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um. So I'm reading about Luther, and I knew that there was times where he said things that were pretty anti-Semitic, and I'm just like, well, you know, he was still a man of God. But then, like, I read about some of the other stuff he said and the things that he did, and I don't want to smear him too bad, but I'm like, it's, he doesn't seem like the, the caliber of character of somebody that God would move on to restore his church. He seems really more like he's just disgruntled and angry. And so, and John Calvin, even as a Protestant, I never took that guy serious, like, as far as predestination and things like that. God doesn't create people to send them to hell. That's not, that's not the God I know. And so, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Martin Luther, like, man, so I don't think these guys had the truth. And so now I'm kind of in a predicament. I don't know what to do. Yeah. And so... I had ordered a little bit before that, before I'm doing all this, just, just online, I had ordered, um, what's it called? Uh, Rome Sweet Home. Scott Hahn, yeah. Yes, and uh, I didn't take much of it. Um, but I started reading it, and you don't get very far without getting emotional reading his story. Yep. And uh, I'll probably never meet that guy, but I love that guy. Like, I've read a few of his books now. I've watched a bunch of his stuff on the internet. Like, I love that guy. And um, 
as I'm continuing to read him and things like that, and then one day I was on YouTube looking at uh, Father Smith's, and uh, someone had brought up like the, which is a common issue with Protestants, someone brought up the um, issue with like icons and statues and things like that. Yep. And so I'm actually in the car waiting for my wife, just watching this on my phone. And he's like, have you ever read about Solomon's temple? And when he said that in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, it's full of like things that if a Protestant were to walk into, they'd be like, we're in a house full of idolatry. And I, I literally dropped my phone, just like, he's so right. Uh, why are we getting so mad? And then I also, you know, in thinking about that, you know, people, when they started tearing the Confederate statues and stuff down, um, I noticed how mad people got. And I was thinking these same people would, you know, condemn Catholics as being idolatrous. And this is all my thoughts before I ever converted. This is just my reasoning. And so I'm reading, you know, I'm reading, I'm skimming through a lot of the church fathers and, uh, it's getting earlier and earlier and earlier to the very beginning. And none of it sounds like the Christianity that I understood sure, at all. Sure. It's, it's just simply not there. And I didn't have a problem becoming Catholic. I was looking for the truth. And um, so it wasn't like it was grieving my heart to not see my understanding of the church anywhere. Um, it was actually like, finally something I could hold on to if this is true but I was still like kind of debating with it. And um, when, we, when I got to the Eucharist, even though I was in seminary, I never knew that there was any group that actually believed that Jesus was literally present in the Eucharist. And when I understood that that's the Catholic teaching and the Orthodox teaching, all of Paul's wordings in Corinthians and John chapter six, um, it all made perfect sense then because that's, a, that's some strong words to use <laughs> if it's yeah. literally just a symbol. And um, that was when it was like, all right, I think I might really be onto something here. Um, and then it was actually like things in the Bible that a lot of Protestant denominations kind of gloss over and don't give you a good answer for that really kind of sealed the deal for me. Um, like for instance, uh, confession, I think it's John chapter 20, 2023. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's every time I read that, I always was like, what is he talking about? Retain, like, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you retain? Well, Go ahead. Sorry. Well, I'm thinking, who's he talking to? He, he's, I mean, he's telling them to receive the Holy Spirit. He's not talking to the Holy Spirit. He's talking to the apostles. Yeah. And he, he, he literally says, like you were just saying, who sins you retain, they are retained. Who you forgive, they are forgiven. And then I went a little bit further up um, thinking about something. And Jesus said, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And so, you know, the Father sent Christ to forgive sins to do all these things and they were to continue the work of Christ right so now I'm thinking about this and then uh the communion of saints and Mary was like I think the last wall to fall 
and it was Mike Schmitz, Father Mike Schmitz. Uh, and I, I don't know how many times I've read Revelation prior, but when he spoke about, I think it's in Revelation 5, and then it's again in Revelation 8, where it talks about uh, the elders having incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Yeah. And my first, when I, when I read that, it's like, how did I never see this before? I read Revelation, I don't know how many times. You know, I went through seminary and aced the class that taught Revelation 1 and 2. How did I never see that or take note of it? Why are the elders offering our prayers to God if they're not the ones receiving them? That's the question I ask myself. And then also in uh, Tobit, I think it is, where the angel said, when you prayed, I offered your prayer to God. Does that sound familiar? That does sound familiar. I don't know if it's Tobit. It, it... Yeah, either way, it's Deuterocanon. We'll yeah, say. yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, And so that was kind of like, with all these things in my head, I remember one day, it was just like, just the blinders came off. And it was just like, they're right. They're right. And I stopped, I, I dropped everything. I literally stopped at that moment. And I got online and I called every parish to find out what do I need to do. I called one lady, I was like, hey, uh, I wanna come to mass, how do I do that? Cause I'm thinking there's gonna be a dress code. I've never set foot in a Catholic church. Yeah, and I love it. Like, she was like, you just show up. And I was like, all right, cool, I'll be there. And so, and then I'm like, well, how do you become Catholic? And so then I'm finding out about RCIA. And so I'm leaving message after message and I'm emailing and I'm emailing. It's a bunch of different parishes because I'm just going to go to whoever calls me back first. And about two weeks pass by and I'm going to mass at random parishes, just like whenever there's a mass. And uh, a man named Deacon Bob uh, called me back. And um, he said, next time you come to mass, introduce yourself so I know who you are. And so he's an older gentleman and uh, I love him to death. And uh so after mass, I approach him and I can tell I'm making him a little uneasy because I'm, you know, I'm covered in tattoos and, and he's like, uh, well, look, you're a little late, um, but you keep believing in your heart, you know, and by the time RCIA rolls back around, we can get you in, we can possibly get you in and totally threw water on my fire. I was like, okay, all right. So, but I kept going to mass and he gave me his phone number. So I'm texting him, asking him questions and things like that. And uh, I'm, I'm praying the whole time, like, God, I have to be Catholic. Like, this is where I want to be. This is what I want to do. This is how I want to raise my children. So and, now this is, this is 2020. This yeah. is, <laughs> yeah, go ahead. That's crazy. Wow. And uh, 2022. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 2022. Yeah. 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 And, um, so the whole time I'm communicating with him and I'm coming to mass and then just one day I remember I've never been the type to give much uh, um, much credit or not much credit, but much attention to those who say that God talks to them. But I remember after mass and um, just really wanting to be Catholic, really wanting to experience the Eucharist. I've already been praying the rosary. And uh, matter of fact, the day I started praying the rosary, it dawned on me later was also the anniversary of my natural mother's death. So the day I accept Mary as my spiritual mother oh, happened to be the anniversary of my physical mother's death. I bought like, like a little girl. Yep. <laughs> and so, 
anyway, I'm sitting in the pew. Um, it's the end of mass and uh, not an audible voice, of course, but like in my heart, I felt like, you know, God said, you know, are you sure you want this? And I'm just like, yes, Lord. And that day he was like, I was talking to Father Rich, we're going to try to get you in this Easter. Um, and I'm like, whoa, okay, great. And so there's all these hurdles we got to jump because they got to make sure that my marriage is valid and, and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's just going like a million miles an hour. And um, I'm, I'm wondering if they're going to, you know, have enough time to uh, even get this done. And, um, and, but they did. And uh, that Easter, I was brought into the church. And last Sunday, uh, I had both my children baptized. Um, I will raise them Catholic. Um, yeah. Beautiful story. So just a few months ago, you received into the church. You just described an intense whirlwind there. What was that moment like? What was that vigil mass like? I'm assuming it was at vigil mass. I know that there are. It was. Yeah. It was. Um, it was super. It was really emotional because it was like literally agonizing before God, just, just weeks prior to this, like wanting the truth so bad, but not knowing where it is and praying, God, just don't let me be deceived. I don't care what the truth is. I'll take it. Just don't let me be deceived for my sake and for my family's sake. I don't believe that there's 5,000 roadmaps and you just hope that we guess the right one. I know you'll get me to the right spot. And, um, It's, it was it was emotional because it was like I think about how it was and I can't help but think about when Jesus said you know learn of me uh, for I am meek and lowly and you shall find rest unto your soul it was like finally my mind and my heart was quiet wow and it was like when they say you know welcome home on all the posts when someone says I'm into the church like that's that's yeah that's like what it is that's exactly how it felt you know it's crazy when you said I don't care at the, you know like I don't care what the truth is there that's so much in that statement where I hear I hear total humility when you make a statement like that you know, I don't care what the truth is. You're not saying I don't care on right. the, you know what I mean? Like get the truth away from me. It is, I don't care what it looks like. Right. I, my heart is open because there's a lot of confusion. Um, right. There's a lot of, um, a lot of energy that is put towards setting up false, you know, understandings of, of, Right. Not just the Catholic Church, of course, but other churches, and it's a it's a sea of of choices. And a lot right. of the people that I talk to describe similar viewpoints where you're like, what do I do? Yeah. I, I understand post-Luther, I know where all these denominations basically came from. Right. So if his theology is conjured, or if you know, you can just grab whatever verses you want and create a theology right. you can see the result of that right um and then you're in this yeah no man's land like where where do i go you right know? um 
I wanted to ask you when you said you were at one point considering converting to Islam, mm -hmm. um, being raised, see, I don't know enough about it. So being raised that way, what would have been required? Do you even know what would have been required in that moment, given the fact that you were raised? Right. So um, it's, it's kind of a lot like the sinner's prayer in a sense. It's okay. called the Shahada. And it's basically where you confess that there is one God, uh, that Muhammad is his prophet. And that's pretty much it. And you say it in English and then you say it in Arabic. And it was halfway out of my mouth, like more than once. Wow. Like that's how close I, I came because it, with all the confusion in the church world at large, it's the only thing that made sense because there's, you got, you know, there's really like two or three branches of Islam, which is way better than 50,000 branches of uh, Christianity, sure. so to say. And so, but yeah, it would have been really just a profession of faith and you'd be, you'd be it's not like a, a ceremony really. Now I'd have to then go to a mosque and say that in front of them. Um, but you can convert wherever you are just by believing that there is indeed one God, which there is, yeah, um, and that Muhammad is his prophet. Got it. So that's like a, it's like a mini creed in a sense. Yeah, you, uh, it's a lot like that. That's in, yeah. when, uh, when I when I found out how to convert. That's what I you know I thought like yeah this is kind of just like a, a creed and and very much like the you know Jesus coming to my heart prayer. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Almost like inviting Muhammad into your heart. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Everyone's, I guess, asked to um, state what they believe is um, the truth. And that's what's so fascinating. And I'm sure you found this too. When you go back through history and you find the early church with the creeds right. that are still said in mass right. every day, really. Right. It's just, it's mind boggling when you get to that point and you realize why certain parts of the creed were developed right. to combat heresy Right. The very, this is what I say, the very heresies that any modern Protestant would be thankful. Right. The church kind of set straight and right. made sense of like, okay, no, that's not the incarnation. No, that's not how the Trinity works. We're going right. to define it and we're going to make sure that it's right. part of what we profess because that is truth, you know, right. that kind of thing. So, right. yeah. The, um, the big thing, um, it's not really a big thing, but there's a lot of, uh, the, the, I came from an organization. So we had like a structure. We had a man who was the pastor's pastor. And as a student minister, he was my pastor as well. And then you had, you know, it was laid out a lot like the Catholic church in the sense of like, I guess my pastor would have been my Pope. <laughs> yep. Hierarchy. Yep. Right. And so they always, you know, would speak about, you know, not wanting to submit to authority. That's why there's all these independent churches and all this stuff and people don't like authority. And when they leave, you know, because even when I was there, we had one break where they started a whole nother church. And then when the, um, when the man that founded that organization passed away, another man got bitter because I guess he didn't feel like he had a big enough slice of the pie and, and he left and started his own church. And it was like, even looking back at that, I'm just like, no, 
I don't think I can, I definitely can't go back to that. And, but you're right, as far as like the way that the Catholic church is, is set up with going back and defending all these things. And one of the crazy things is when you go back and you look at some of the heresies that they fought, yeah, they're a lot like a lot of Protestant doctrine today, some of those heresies. Gnosticism for sure. Yes, yeah. yes. Like when I read that, I was like, whoo, this is scary. Is this even real? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, just keeps coming back. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. And sure. uh, well, even the um, oneness Pentecostal right. movement and other movements. Shoot, there was another one. Um, I can't come up with it, but it was really frightening that I heard. And it was related to an early early heresy i forget what it was but um dang what was i going to ask you related to that uh, i can't think of it oh well um anything else that's that stood out to you anything else that you i mean you're you're still so fresh into this what can right. what can you say to people that are considering conversion or there are a lot of people, believe it or not, that are just in the early, early stages where they say, this is not the church for me. And there's a toddler running in. Um, uh, they, they realize with in the Protestant churches, this is not for me, this one right. church. And they start that journey where they're like, what's right. the next church for me? Kind of right. what you were describing. Right. But a lot of people have to experience many many denominations before they have that moment right. like you did right. uh, is there anything you can say to that to that person there's always going to be something that you're not going to like or agree with always and once you get tired of that you're going to move on to the next one and it's it's tiresome there's a lady that um I was speaking with and she's she's older and she's had enough of going from church to church and so she started looking into the catholic church and um you're gonna burn out spiritually doing that and so if you're looking at the catholic church it might be a hard pill to swallow but swallow it like what are you waiting for you might people may not like it but if you can defend your faith even if you can't if you know that you know that you know then that's really you know it's all there everything the catholic church teaches is right there in the bible you just it's just been glossed over and twisted to mean something else and um just come home yeah well 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 said well said yeah i think i had that moment and i've interviewed people that have had those moments where they would go back to the bible and they would see what appeared mm -hmm. to be catholic and yet they would say that can't that can't be their 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 heart wasn't there and their brain right. was like just move right. on move on that that can't mean that right. it just can't you know and right. so that's where that that statement that you made about truth the humility that it takes right um i don't want to say it only comes down to that but 
uh, that is a big portion of it. Our pride gets in the way and says, I don't understand that. And I've been taught certain things against mm -hmm. that. So it's just, it's just not, it can't, it can't be true. That right. Kind of I forget who said it, but when I was, when I, like, as soon as I came into the church, not as soon, but it wasn't long, you know, even any Protestant that comes into the Catholic church, there's going to be times where they grapple with doubt. And um, I forget who said it. I don't know if it was a, a, another convert, but somebody said something of the, to the effect of, I believe to understand I don't try to understand so that I can therefore believe because I know if I do not believe, I will never understand or something something along those lines. It was something like that. You're talking about someone that, that you saw because that sounds similar to Augustine. Augustine said something. It like, might have been. It, it, he and was, then someone was quoting it. But yeah, either way, that, that makes a whole heck of a lot of sense. Yeah. 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 But it's um, it's really been wonderful. Um, and the fact that it's all right there in the Bible, like I'm, I'm really, a lot of times I'll pray for people that, because I have a lot of friends that are still back in my organization that have kept contact with me. And I know how sincere they are for God. And it's just like, you know, God, if you could just open their eyes, it wouldn't be hard because it's, it really truly is. It's all right there. We, I hear people that, um, as a Protestant, I would say when we're trying to talk to somebody about our faith, they're not going to accept history and tradition and things like that. They're going to accept the Bible. And I, I believe emphatically that we absolutely can defend the faith with the Bible alone. Not that we believe Bible alone. Yeah, but, but everything we from by, yep. Yeah, it's all there. Purgatory is in there, believe it or not. Luke chapter 11. I think it's chapter 11 where he's talking about the different uh the one that didn't prepare himself and oh sure yeah uh, i think it's corinthians chapter three um if i'm not mistaken. i'll let you i'll let you go with that one i don't remember some of the yeah. verses about perfect but it's, but it's 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 all there just in the 66 books it's all there that, wait till you see the rest of the books <laughs> no, that's that's an excellent point excellent point yeah that you can defend. And I've seen a number of debates, Catholic Protestant debates, where um, the Catholic will refuse to appeal to tradition. Like, let's just go Bible alone. Right. And then if that is convincing to certain people, they can then see the importance of tradition and magisterial teaching right. and how scripture alone like you, you know you've heard of the three-legged stool of scripture tradition mm -hmm. and magisterium right right well operating with scripture alone that can't even form a leg and neither can tradition on its own like none of these things can be in isolation they all have to be together working together checks and balances together not just that must be literal or that must be a metaphor just because it feels that way. It, I'm right. convicted of that. It is my conscience that tells me so. That that needs to be checked against right. history, um, specifically history that that ties to Christ, not not history that that ties to um, like you were saying, 
you know, 1600 years later or something. This, this has to be reiterated. You know, with the early church, you start to see the proximity of theology, the proximity to Christ. Right. When I was a non-denominational Protestant, when I began going upstream, my theology kind of stopped in proximity to Luther. Right. And that's where I said I felt there was a wall there because I couldn't see past the wall. And my mind is it made no sense, of course, like, oh, okay, I just accept on I'm on this side of the wall, I need to pick a denomination. I was, I was thinking we'd be Baptist or Calvinist or whatever. I was so confused because of that proximity to Luther from that moment where many would say there was freedom and, you know, uh, convictions, personal, personal conscience, reason, just everything exploding. Um, yeah. (laughs) And then you could see the absolute disaster, not necessarily in the moment, but certainly in hindsight, that's how you and I, and many others start to see all these splits and it just doesn't make any sense. And all it does is lead to more, more confusion and like, where do I go to whom shall I go? Right. And 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 what's it going to look like in 50 years when my kids are in this? Correct. Yeah, if, you know. if people are breaking and you're you you're there for a few years and you're watching church church splits, meanwhile, like you said earlier, we don't we're not fans of authority. We're not fans of the papacy. Who's going to hold together those churches? Right. If an ego says I'm offended and I'm going to go elsewhere and start my own church. Right. You've just become your own authority. Right. Right. I don't right, know absolutely. how you can escape viewing it that way, but anyway, I, 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 I shouldn't say it like that. I couldn't see it, but then once I saw it, I couldn't unsee it. <laughs> so right. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of when when I was when I was still considering if I was gonna convert or not before the lights came on and I knew I had to. Yeah. I would think about all the things that I didn't like about the Catholic church, as far as like things that have been done in the past, um, even in my lifetime with certain scandals and, and whatnot. And uh, I, I came to the conclusion that if the Protestant world was unified, that scandal would be a whole lot worse than what goes on. Not, not, not that any scandal is good, yeah, yeah, yeah. but everybody has there's been in every group there's been something amiss yeah and then i thought about it really doesn't matter who is filling what office at the end of the day i gotta stand before god not before so and so i gotta give an answer for me and my kids and my wife and that's all that matters and I may not, I don't have to like what someone might do or get caught up in, but that's between them and God. That's true. Absolutely. Yeah. No, well said. I think it's funny that we had to transition from your laptop to your phone because now you're, you're in the light. So it was a nice, 
it was a nice transition <laughs> of your journey. You are in the light now, and uh, it's been a pleasure. I I have to say, like everyone else did on online, welcome home. God bless you. you. God bless your family. Uh, thank you for being courageous enough to share your story, talk about all these uh, these moments, and the fact Absolutely. that it's so fresh. I know that these types of stories. I would never say that they grow stale, but there's something about someone that is just brand new, brand new on fire, helping right. cradles and old converts and reverts kind of get that back in their right. spirit. So um, very inspiring. Appreciate it. No problem. No problem. Right on. Everyone, thank you so much for watching. Uh, don't forget to subscribe. And until next time, take care and God bless.